Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Ever since the North Atlantic Treaty Organization was founded in 1949, the Mediterranean and the Levant constituted NATO's southern flank, with the U.S. 6th Fleet the main striking force in the region. With Europe, however, once again a hot spot, especially in the Russia-Ukraine front, NATO could find itself back in its core mission, having all but withdrawn from the volatile hotspots of this region, the Middle East, where its member states deployed units to over the last three decades. If that is indeed the case, what role is left for the alliance in the Middle East at a time when neighboring Russia and ambitious China are seemingly increasing their respective influence throughout the region? To explore this issue, we are having today a distinguished panel. Joining us from the German city of Munich is General Klaus Naumann, who is a former Bundeswehr Chief of General Staff and Chairman of NATO's Military Committee. Thank you for joining us, General. My pleasure. Also joining our panel today from central Israel is Dr. Uzi Arad, who is the former Israeli National Security Advisor and Mossad Division Chief. Thank you for joining us as well, Doctor. Hello. And joining me here in the studio is our TV7 editor-at-large and host of Watchmen Talk, as well as Powers in Play, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding of the current structure of the North Atlantic Alliance, its involvement in this region, especially at a time when Russia is the key focus. Does this distract it from Middle Eastern responsibilities and spheres of influence that are quite clearly being more robustly engaged by both Moscow and Beijing? Well, seeing our distinguished guest, General Nauman, uh, uh, among us, one cannot but recall the um, second half of the 90s uh, when General Nauman uh, was for more than three years the chairman of the military uh, committee of NATO. Um, where the, the Chods, the chiefs of defense, uh, uh, sit uh, as the military advisors to uh, the uh, North Atlantic uh, Council. And one of the acronyms of the day uh, at the time was MD, Mediterranean Dialogue, with Israel one of the seven participants. And the idea was that NATO could serve as a vehicle for diplomacy, and not only uh, as a military alliance, in order to bring in uh, new associates, not members, but new associates from uh, around the Mediterranean, uh, Israel, Egypt, Jordan, and fourth North African uh, countries. Uh, sometime later, when uh, governments changed in Turkey, Israel found itself banging on NATO's door in order to take part in uh, one of the uh, maritime um, missions of NATO, uh, despite Turkey's uh, veto. Now, this all uh, sounds like um, ancient history because, as you said, uh, the United States, as the leading power in NATO, is uh, obviously on the way out of uh, the Middle East. And to boot, Israel was moved from the European command uh, which was tantamount to NATO, even though it was an American, and still is an American military command, to CENTCOM, the Central Command. So uh, both the organization and the countries of the Middle East will have to adjust and adapt and see whether in the years ahead 
there is still room for cooperation between uh, whoever lives in the Middle East and the 13 nations of NATO. Indeed. With uh, our co-panelists here, I'd like to start with General Nauman. Since the, the moment that uh, NATO officially withdrew from Afghanistan, to what degree do you see enough emphasis uh, on uh, this region coming from NATO member states, considering the fact that the only uh, major operation, if we may call it major, uh, that continues to take place in this region is Operation Inherent Resolve, which is a U.S.-led coalition rather than a NATO-led uh, coalition. Are we seeing enough uh, responsible actors moving into the direction of understanding the growing influence of NATO's rivals, including Russia and China, into this region specifically, and most notably also uh, in Saudi Arabia, in Turkey, in Egypt, in the major contenders of this region? I have to start by saying that I'm no longer able to speak in an official capacity. I'm just speaking as an interested observer and as someone who understands that there will be no security for Europe without looking into its periphery, in particular into the what I call the greater Middle East. So uh, we are aware of the situation. We also know that the retreat from Afghanistan uh, cannot be the last word of uh, Western nations in this part of the world. But you will understand as well that the, at the moment all attention is absorbed by the evolving crisis in Ukraine. Uh, it brings NATO back into its original focus, uh, focus on Russia. And uh, I think everyone in NATO has all hands full at the moment to cope with the situation there and to avoid a further escalation, which is, is extremely difficult since uh, obviously most of the Trump cards are in the hands of a player who doesn't shy away from any from taking any risk as long as he hope, he hopes that the situation will turn to his uh, favor but uh, there we are we are right in the middle of the crisis and uh, no one knows at this point in time whether it will be possible to avoid an escalation which at the end will see war indeed dr arad your observation uh, it is clear that the Ukrainian crisis is dangerous, uh, that Europe, NATO and uh, Europe are positioning themselves to, to handle that, uh, among other reasons, because it could escalate and that uh, the, the risks are high and there is a sense of urgency there. So justifiably, uh, the, the, the concentration is on this central threat uh, behind which, of course, is Russia. Now, when it comes to the Middle East, the observation that security for Europe also depends to some extent on security in the Middle East is also a valid observation, to which one should add now that we in the Middle East are now facing, I would say, an equally urgent kind of threat which could escalate and which necessitates some action to prevent it. And that is, of course, the Iranian threat. Uh, the Iranian threat, I'm not talking about it in terms of a general processes, mm -hmm. but in terms of uh, the concrete 
uh, actions that are already being taken uh, in the region. That is to say, various points in which Iran is uh, in a friction with uh, other countries in the Middle East, with the United States, and with us, of course. So military activities on a very low scale are already taking place. And then, of course, is the central issue of the ongoing negotiations, whether there could be some kind of a nuclear deal that would arrest a process which, if left uncontrolled, could be the one that may lead uh, in the sheer, in the near term, to escalation. Now here, when it comes to the Middle Easterners, there is an expectation and need for assistance from Europe. And as much as Europe is preoccupied, and NATO preoccupied with the Ukrainian crisis, still uh, there is need and there is justification to find ways of trying to stabilize and contain the processes vis-a-vis um, uh, -vis Iran. I hope that uh, the structures, be NATO, be the American bodies, be the various armies which are already exercising here and there uh, cooperatively, but also some ingenuity in the negotiations, in the NPT structures and so forth, all these multilateral instruments could be employed in cooperation between NATO and Europe and Israel and others, the United States, of course, so as to introduce greater stability. Uh, you know, uh, a scare scenario might have it that we would have flashpoints in both continents, one escalating in the Ukraine with Russia there and the other uh, occurring in the Middle East, where Russia is also now present. So that's on our agenda, um, and I'm concerned by the existence of these two flashpoints at the same time, and they have to be contained. I hope they will. Some action, discussion, work is taking place, but will it suffice? And also there are those uh, dynamics that could take you to, to areas which would confront us with serious decisions. Indeed. Mr. Olin? Um, I have a general observation and then um, a question uh, for General Nauman. Um, the general observation is that uh, we may be going back to Yalta. What the Russians um, are seemingly trying to do is, again, reestablish spheres of influence. Uh, perhaps they are not going to try and occupy more tracts of Ukrainian lands, but to push NATO away from the gates and have uh, Central and Eastern Europeans under their orbit. And we will see it in the coming weeks, and it depends on the response that NATO will have for it. But for General Nauman, um, as a German um, observer, now that uh, uh, Chancellor Merkel has retired, and uh, with it, Europe has lost a leader, at least a co-leader with the French president. But Europe itself, well, after Brexit, with the um, competition that the uh, European Union poses for NATO, is Germany going to still be a leader within NATO? Well, I, I have no political responsibility. I can only express a hope. I hope that Germany will live up to its 
responsibility and take a leading role in NATO. Uh, we can no longer simply uh, shy responsibility and we can no longer duck away and uh, not assume leadership. We have to do it. Uh, otherwise, Europe as such will fail. I hope that the people responsible in Berlin will understand this. And uh, you rightly observed what Putin is asking for is the return to Yalta under the conditions of 2022. It is simply impossible to accept it. And I hope that everyone will be crystal clear in telling Mr. Putin that his demands are simply no basis for any negotiation at all. He, the Russia, I have to recall it, Russia signed repeatedly international treaties by which they acknowledged that every nation has a free choice which alliance it wishes to belong to. And uh, that is something we will never give up, whatever Putin will do. But uh, we are no longer in the era of Roosevelt versus Stalin or uh, Montgomery and uh, Eisenhower with uh, Zhukov. Um, are the uh, uh, members of the alliance able to put up a credible deterring defense against the Russians? I think they are. I think we are able to do this. We, we have to admit, and we Germans in particular, that we neglected uh, defense for far too long a time. We focused on what we called out-of-area operations, such as Afghanistan, and on peacekeeping efforts, but we neglected collective defense. That has to change. And uh, it is encouraging to hear that the new uh, Social Democratic Defense Minister stated this in clear words in the German Bundestag last week. So uh, what Putin achieved is to bring the 30 nations of NATO closer together. In the meeting with the Russians last week, NATO displayed a unity which one has not often seen before. And the other point which Putin obviously didn't have on his uh, calculation, he forged the Ukrainians to acknowledge a Ukrainian uh, uh, identity which is no longer a Russian identity. So in psychological terms, we are perhaps on the winning side, but in terms of power projection, in terms of military capabilities, Putin has more trumps in his hands right now than we have. Indeed, and yet, uh, well, this is a very uh, important topic to discuss. We will leave it for next month uh, when we establish uh, this dialogue and you will also co-panel uh, the Europa Stands uh, production with regard to Europe. But until then, I'd like to ask you, General, uh, with regard to specifically, you spoke about uh, the German uh, defense minister, the, the newly appointed one. Uh, she also traveled to uh, Iraq. She traveled to Jordan, during which she met with German forces operating in this uh, region as part of this Operation Inherent Resolve. Uh, and uh, alongside American and other NATO member states are uh, operationally engaged in uh, contending with uh, the Islamic State in this region. To what degree do you see this uh, operation extended and uh, the commitment of Berlin maintained with regard 
to seeing uh, the the uh, various operations uh, prolonged in order to ensure that the threats that emanate from this region remain in this region rather than are drawn closer to uh, the West at a time when also we see uh, an increase of engagement of Russia also in Egypt, uh, where it is established in joint exercises both in the Sinai Peninsula as well as uh, a joint naval maneuver in the Black Sea. We see China increasing its involvement with weapon sales to Saudi Arabia. We see, of course, also uh, additional countries, including Syria, just recently signing an MOU with regard to the Belt and Road Initiative. Is this something that is brought to the attention of European leaders and, and then uh, properly engaged uh, from a European slash NATO perspective? Well, I, it is. I'm, I'm no longer privy to uh, detailed discussions of the government or of NATO uh, uh, bodies, but I'm, I think they are aware of what is going on. And they also know that, as I had said in the beginning, that we can never talk of European security uh, with neglecting the situation in the Middle East and uh, in its periphery. So I, I believe they know what they should observe. They know how they should react. But you should also, uh, also take into account NATO has one very big disadvantage in crisis management. It has to take decisions based on consensus. And to forge consensus among 30 nations with very different strategic perspectives is a very, very difficult task. I, saw, I experienced that in the Kosovo War, and I can assure you it was not easy to get 19 nations to stay united and stay the course uh, in, an, in a situation in which none of them had a vested national interest in Kosovo. Indeed. Mr. Arad, uh, Dr. Arad, excuse me, I'd like to hear your perspective on this as well. And also, uh, you spoke extensively about the Iranian challenge, which is a global challenge rather than an Israeli problem in particular. Uh, but uh, when we look at the situation in Yemen, for instance, uh, there was the designation of the Iranian proxy, the Houthis, uh, by the, the uh, Trump administration on the 17th of, of uh, January of last year, by Mike Pompeo, the then Secretary of State, which was then uh, removed immediately a month after for humanitarian reasons. Now, that brought about an escalation to the point where we saw uh, the Iranian-backed forces with RGC advisors as well as Hezbollah advisors on the ground trying to take over this country, which has the access to the Red Sea and to the majority of trade between East and West, uh, through the waterways of the, the Red Sea and, of course, also the Suez Canal uh, going northward. To what degree do you see Western uh, involvement and responsiveness to the alert risen by Israeli practitioners and officials regarding the challenges that are not only uh, posed to Israel proper, but to the entire world and, most notably, to the Western world? As you said, the... The Iranian problem uh, is Israel's, uh, but also is shared in in similar terms by uh, it is shared by uh, other Middle Eastern countries, 
who cooperate among themselves to present a kind of a block um, to handle the Iranian activities uh, in that theater. At the same time, uh, the international involvement in the Middle East uh, is getting uh, greater uh, from the direction of China, which is, as noticed, also making headway and is not ignoring uh, activities that are taking place in the Middle East. And the United States, on the other hand, is not completely disengaging uh, from the Middle East. Uh, the Middle East has this uh, habit of drawing into it uh, reluctant uh, powers. Uh, Russia is not a reluctant in coming to the Middle East, but even American reluctance uh, may be uh, confronted with direct challenges. Now, we have a very com Israel, because of its location, all nations are victims of their locations. Germany's is well understood, but Israel has a special fortune of being at the fault lines between several theaters, and, um, and the pressure is coming from a variety of directions. Uh, we are feeling the Chinese pressure, uh, trying to expand their activities, including into the Mediterranean and beyond. And that is presenting some problems to us because it strains our relations with the United States. We are seeing the Russian uh, pressure. Uh, the Russian pressure is manifest primarily in the North, in the Baltics and in the Ukraine. But the Russian presence in Syria is not a negligible factor to consider. And we are seeing the Iranian as the most active pressing uh, power, which is trying to expand its own influence in the Middle East, in addition to its nuclear activities. Now, in, in this context, Israel has to make very difficult, calibrated choice how to align itself with its various partners, natural partners and allies, which are mostly the members of the Atlantic Alliance. Uh, that is to say, the United States primarily, but it is also the allies in, in Europe. Now, as you know, uh, we have been trying to get closer to NATO in a number of formal capacities, um, and some, and we are more present and cooperating in various directions. But it is interesting that NATO or Europe has shown some ability not necessarily to rely on the full scope of its 30 members alliance, and has shown a capacity to work uh, with some more limited structures. And which brings me, interestingly, to the useful role that Europe played within the five plus one that dealt with Iran. Uh, in that structure, you had three European countries out of the many who took the lead and have been very instrumental in being a party of that. And uh, similarly, you may consider in various areas where you have some defense uh, and military responsibilities, we have seen more kind of ad hoc formations taking action. So it is this kind of more agile diplomatic or military role that can be expected here from, uh, from say, those uh, countries in the Middle East who want to contain Iran and to stabilize the region to expect for some limited role and the role that I do expect, General, is, for example, within the same context of the five plus one.
the five plus one has been an interesting group now for more than 20 years. And um, still, this is now at the center of current negotiations with Iran about a deal. Uh, should there be a deal, then there would be need also by Europeans as, and members of other international organizations. For example, the NPT, which is the regime that controls proliferation, uh, has a lot of work to do to update that structure to an erosion that is occurring because of the greater number of countries which are approaching nuclear capacity or even because of the new ground uh, broken because of American uh, alliance with uh, Australia in which it would be shipping uh, nuclear material uh, in ways that have not been permitted before. So there is, uh, there is need for a great deal of, how should I say, political, diplomatic, multilateral work on all these agendas, um, leaving aside the military or the intelligence. And in all of these, we, Israel, find ourselves, uh, of course, as I said, in the Atlantic camp, which includes Europe, and in which Germany did become and has become a pillar of that structure. So, General, we look up to Germany to play, and this is no, uh, uh, not a slogan, to play uh, the kind of leadership that it is our responsibility, as you call it, within those structures, particularly in light of a relative American uh, um, lesser attention that had been before, and because of the necessity for all concerned to have that kind of work done. It's very difficult. It requires a great deal of imagination, creativity, and professionalism by all who are involved in policy making. Um, but I'm, I am, I'm, uh, I say that because I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. I think that the Ukrainian crisis is serious. If Europe's position is the one that you, General, have positioned, it is a tough position uh, and it may be challenged. The same situation is true for our situation. Uh, we face tough choices. We also take, for example, on the Iranian issue, a very tough line. We have declared that we will not accept a nuclear Iran and will take all measures, military option, even unilateral military option, should it come to this. Now, that's a laudable uh, position. It's tough. It is justifiable. But it might come to to be challenged. Indeed, Dr. Arad. Well, uh, thank you so very much. Unfortunately, this is all the time that we have for today's program. We will have to revisit uh, this topic as it's uh, uh, quite significant for regional stability as well as global stability. But with that, I'd like to thank General Nauman. Dr. Arad and Mr. Oren for being part of today's panel and to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.